Hello and welcome to Deep Water Podcast. I'm Karsten Mullet. Thank you for joining us. Tonight, we have a great guest with us. We have Bishop Henry Malundi. Bishop is the presiding bishop chairman of CCI, or Christian Church International, and he's the international director of African Christian Missions, or ACMI, the mission wing of the church. Bishop has been married for Betty for, to Betty for 48 years, and they've been blessed with three adult children and nine grandkids. Bishop, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, sometimes when we get older, we have trouble remembering certain dates like our birthdays. But it's a different problem altogether for Bishop Malundi. Bishop, most people don't get a chance to choose your own birthday. Can you tell us why you do? Hey, thank you, Kasten. Um I, I thought I was born a different year, uh, but my older brother was a stepbrother, and he had gone to school, was writing uh, the birthdays, and I didn't know. My mother didn't go to school. My father didn't go to school, so they never recorded anything. But uh, later on, I got to find out I was born in 1948, but uh, I didn't know the month, neither the day. Uh, when I got married, I had to have a birthday, not a year. <laughs> so, so that I don't forget, I chose the birthday of my wife, Betty, which is 4th May. It's a good birthday to have. Yeah. I'm sure she likes sharing a birthday with you then, too. Oh, yeah. Always remember. A wonderful marriage, you know. Yes. Celebrating a birthday at the same time. <laughs> now, Bishop is actually older than the Republic of Kenya. So if you were born in 1948, and I believe you gained independence in 1962, is that correct? 1963. 1963. Yeah. All right. Now, tell me a little bit about your home life when you were, when you were growing up. We were born, uh, nine of us, in our family, and um, my father was, it's a long story, but he had two other wives uh, from, um, his brothers were married who went to the First World War, and they never came home. So my father was the youngest and remained at home, didn't go to war. He assumed responsibility of two wives right after the First World War. Now, my mother was to be married later on, um, and she was like the third wife for my dad or for my father. So that, that, that's very interesting. People don't know anything about that. So my mother, uh, you know, was married in, in the 1920s after the First World War, and so we were many. We were nine. By the time... The last born was born, I think my dad was already retiring from uh, his job. He was working as a, as a worker in the rail line, was a construction worker. So he didn't have much money to pay for school fees for all of us. So we went at different times. And I was not privileged um, at that time until I was 15 years of age. That is when I went to the grade one or standard one, as we call it, primary school. Which would, which would be like our elementary school. Elementary one at 15 years of age. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I can't. Uh, how, how many years of school did you have then? Uh, when I went to school, I was in and out of school until I finished uh, grade seven. That was elementary up to seven. And then from there, I went to high school. 
I did four years. That was about 11 years um, when I went to college. And college I did two years. So that's about, um, you know, 13, 13 years of, of schooling. And I was a grown-up that time when I went, uh, when I finished college and went to teach as a school teacher. Wow. Do you feel like you had any delays in learning since you took, you know, 15 years before you went to school? Were you able to just pick it up very quickly? I picked up very quickly because, again, I was uh, studying with youngsters who were, you know, seven years, eight years, you know, almost younger than me. Mm-hmm. So I should be better, and I, I really try. I really tried uh, to catch up. Mm-hmm. So I didn't repeat any class. God was really merciful to me. Mm-hmm. But the biggest issue was um, the the school fees, having uniform books and all that. That was quite a challenge. Yeah, but so friends had to help. Neighbors sometimes they came in and they contributed for me to go to school. So I'm as a result of uh, people, you know, pitching in and helping. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm helping many orphans. You will learn that at the end. Mm. Yeah. Did you have jobs then the first 15 years if you weren't in school? No, no. I, you never heard of anybody going having a job at 15. I was looking after my father's goats and cows, which were not many, like seven, eight cows and probably 20 goats. That's what I did every day before I went to elementary one. Incredible. Now, growing up there, would you say your, your home was a Christian home? What did you know about you know about Christ and Christianity at that time? No, we were, our home, our family, we were not Christians at all. The first mission station in our village was, uh, was a mission station that was brought by uh, the Scottish missionaries from uh, England or from the UK, they had put up a mission station not far from home, probably about four miles away from home, where we could walk to to church there for Sunday school as I was growing up. But I never gave my life to Jesus until um, I was 19 years of age. Uh, that I, you know, the plan of salvation, I understood, and I read the Bible, and I had preaching, and that's when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Wow, how did that come to happen? Was there a certain person or individual that helped you through those steps? Yes, my stepbrother, uh, who was a missionary with the African Inland Mission, uh, took me away from home, and we lived northern Kenya where it's dry, semi-arid, and I was going to school there. And we read the Bible every day and prayed uh, every day and really understood the plan of salvation. So my stepbrother played a major part in my salvation. Very good. Yeah. Was your stepbrother the first one in your family to come to Christ? Yes, he was the first one. And, um, of course, he, he was he's a stepbrother for one of my other mothers, mm-hmm. okay, because my father had three. Now, in my mother's family, I was the first one. And I'm glad that my father and my mother died having known the Lord. I led them to the Lord uh, some years later. And they have, they are now going to be with the Lord. And I, I rejoice that I was able to reach and bring them to the faith. Now, after you went to, uh, to college, how long were you a teacher in the school systems? 
I did college two years of studying, and then I went to teach, and I taught for four years. And all this time, I was an evangelist. Actually, I started evangelizing when I was in Form 2, or what you guys called the 10th grade. Okay. That was uh, Form 2. I started preaching and witnessing in the school, went to neighboring schools to witness. Uh, so I started early. Uh, but te- while teaching, I was still evangelizing. I had some of the largest crusades in the country at that time after high school. Some of the huge crusades, and there was great healing, miracles of healing, you know, cripples walk, the blind seeing, and people getting saved by the thousands. I had meetings in stadiums. By this time, I wasn't involved in any church particularly. And how old were you when you were having these meetings? I was 20, somewhere 24, 25. Yeah, 25. I was holding those meetings. And you had other people helping preach with you? Young people from the schools. They came along and we preached together. Let me tell you, we didn't have any radio, any announcement or anything. It was a word by mouth that we were going to hold a crusade in a stadium. And people would come by the thousands. Very interesting. Wow. Was this in Nairobi or in Thika? Where were you? Where was these stadiums? We started in Thika and went to central Kenya, most of uh, central Kenya and eastern Kenya and Rift Valley. Yeah, it started in Thika. And so eventually, I know in 1980, God called you to go to the United States for schooling. Just tell me how that came to be. When did you realize you wanted to go to the States for more advanced learning? I had um, I had preached for about uh, nine years without any Bible training, any seminary. And I was really feeling a need, not just myself, but those that we were within the, in the movement. It was a big movement. There were guys with me, and we felt a need uh, to go to Bible college or Bible school, for that matter. Now, it it's interesting how it happened. Uh, one thing we were afraid of going to Bible college, we would lose our our passion, uh, we would lose our our seriousness in the faith and all that because we had seen many people coming to North America, going to seminaries and coming back really uh, confused and dry, and they never grew ministries, they never grew the church, and so we were afraid of coming to America and losing that passion, that that that. Uh, you know what I mean? We, we were afraid. So we had told a, a friend of ours who, um, who was coming to study in America in Harvard University. He was a doctor, medical doctor. And we told him to look for a good Bible college to recommend to us. And that's what he did. He happened to go to Rosedale Bible Institute that time. And uh, he really liked the school. And he got the catalog and he sent to us and then we applied a long story, but the churches, the Mennonite churches, uh, did um, gather some money to help leaders from third world countries. And I happened to be one of them with another guy called Ibrahim Omondi, Joseph Kamau, John Chachanik. We were four of us, the first ones to come to Rosedale, 1980. Ibrahim had come slightly earlier. We'd send him like the guinea pig, you know, to really <laughs> f- check and find out whether really 
we would survive. So anyway, we did this. We, we, we determined we're going to go to America. The only way we can survive is to wake up early in the morning, every morning at 5 o'clock to pray. And we kept that our whole time at Rosedale. We woke up to pray every morning. We spent the first one hour before going for breakfast in prayers. Then we began to involve the students in prayer meetings like lunchtime. We would eat lunch quick and go to the chapel to pray. And when it was slightly warm warm in, in March, April, we started going to the cornfields to pray. And we'd walk along the, the rows, the corn rows, to, you know, just pray. Mm-hmm. And quite a number of them students were involved in, the, in, in those prayers at Rosedale. So that is how actually I came to America. It was the Mennonite church getting a fund together to help third world uh, church leaders to study at Rosedale. That's how, I mean, my tuition, my everything was covered except the airfare. Now, while it was while at Rosedale, I had the call of God seriously this time telling me, go back to Kenya, Africa, and start a church. It was very, very clear. I had an invitation to study more. You know, Rosedale was a diploma. Mm-hmm. I wanted a degree. I wanted to go back to Africa with a degree, you know, at least a bachelor's degree. And so I had been invited at, the, you know, Messiah University to study. And I had people willing to pray, you know, to pay for me. Actually, some friends had already paid the first semester for me. But as I kept praying, the Lord kept prompting me that it's now go back. And remember, I had left my wife and, and, and my, my, you know. And you she, had a daughter at this time. I had a daughter back at home. Uh, he's... You know, and how old was your daughter at that time? Um, nineteen eighty when I came. She was born nineteen seventy nine. So you left your wife and your one year old daughter to fly across the ocean. This is the first time you came to America, correct? Yes, yes, yes. To follow God's will and to study at a Bible it, college. It was tough. It was really tough, honestly, mm. to say the truth. You know, those days, uh, calling was by a phone was not that easy, and we didn't have a phone in our house. I would call a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would walk there like from here, you know, like half a, half a mile. You walk half a mile. There was a, a neighbor who had a phone at his, at his business. And I would call there and ask them if they can walk and tell my wife I will call after two hours. And many times I would call and the connection would not work. So I would try the following day. Sometimes it would take me a week before I talked to her. Now, a letter took a minimum of eight days. That was a way of communication. You know, these days you guys don't understand. You know, you can communicate right now to anybody in Australia, in Africa. Mm-hmm. Those days, communication was very hard, very tough. So I had a wife and a child back in Kenya. Tough. God gave me the grace. I can say that. Amen. Yeah. Now, when you were at uh, Rosedale, what courses did you did you take? Did you know ahead of time, or what were you studying specifically when you were there? No, at Rosedale, I took all the courses there was of the Anabaptist history, and I had a good teacher, 
uh, Walter Beachy mm-hmm. was my teacher. Oh, I enjoyed that. And and, and especially to know about the uh, the Mennonites, the Amish, and all these people, it was very helpful. I took Christian education and uh, Christian education and church history. Those are the departments I really took. Um, devotional life was very helpful. It was all included. So that's where actually devotional life really helped me to have a, a very deep walk daily with, 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 with God through the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's really helped me. And that's where I heard the call of God that I go back to Africa to start a church. And I obeyed. But I didn't know when. So I took the letter to the church. We were meeting, there was a church meeting in Mechanicsburg, not far from Rosedale. And that's where I would go on Sunday morning to, to worship. And I told them to pray with me so that God would make it clear whether I go to Messiah University, finish my degree, and then go back home, or I cancel the admission and go back home. Because here I had an admission. Here I had somebody who had already uh, paid even for, the, for me the first semester. Now after three weeks of prayer, do you know what happened? I got a rejection from Messiah University after they had accepted me. Mm-hmm. I had an ad- admission letter. But after three, four weeks, I got another letter saying, sorry, we, are, we have canceled your admission. That was God closing a door. That's the God closing that door. And this is what they said. Sorry, we found that in your transcript, you had a very poor week. You had a very weak pass in English. Ha! Huh. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> so we are sorry you cannot interact with the materials here in the university. And guess what? I took that as an answer to prayer. And mm-hmm. I headed home. I headed home to go and start that church. So in the early 80s, after going to Rosedale, would you say that kind of laid a foundation for just your interacting with the Anabaptist world in the States? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It was the best time and I because I didn't know much about the Anabaptist. Mm-hmm. So after the exposure, I found out I wasn't an Anabaptist. Yeah, because most of our people had infant baptism mm-hmm. when they were young. And when they grew up, upon confession of faith, they were baptized again. Yeah, I mean, it was such a neat connection with these Anabaptists in North America. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. So you go back to Kenya. How was it getting the church off the ground? Like what, uh, what was the first steps in just forming this church? Okay, 1980 summer, we had gone with Richard Showater, we had gone with uh, Bob Stauffer, uh, and I forget who else. We went back then, preached in a crusade in Thika. And a, a fellowship had started to gather, a prayer group, a fellowship, and they started even meeting on Sunday. They didn't call themselves a church. So when the Lord told me to go back in 1981, I went back to that group and became uh, a pastor, to them, there were like 15, 20 people, and began to work with them uh, to establish them in the faith, to disciple them in the faith. And we started a lot of outreach. We started outreaching, you know, uh, in the area. 
1982, Richard Showater sold out, followed me with his wife and three children, young children. And they stayed with us until, they stayed for nine months uh, to really help me find, found the church. We did home, home sales, small groups. He assisted me with that. And we commissioned Richard Showater to go to Turkey as a missionary from Kenya. Mm. And so we continued to grow. The next person who followed, Bob Stoffer from Orville, followed over there. He was a young man, stayed in our house for more than nine years. Uh, Lloyd Beachy from Kelowna, Iowa, he came also. They, we had two boys in our house, American boys. They, we went, they helped me in building. They helped me in, you know, like making the seats, tent, uh, you know, the tent that we had. They did a lot of work, physical work, mm-hmm. while I was doing the church work. Was there any other churches in Thika at that time? Yeah, there were other mainline churches, the mm-hmm. Anglican, the Presbyterian, the Salvation I mean, they were all there. But we were the people known to preach salvation mm-hmm. in the open air meeting, in the, in the streets, do crusades and all that. We were the people who were known to pray all night. We were the people known to hold revival meetings, things like those, even though there were other churches. So our church grew very fast. When did uh when did groups from the states really start coming and helping out with <clears throat> the evangelistic meetings? I think I can't remember everything, but back and forth we would have one person, two people coming like that. Just real but in small the 90, groups. You know, yeah, small mm-hmm. groups. But in late nineties, late nineties, it began like three, four. Uh, Freeman Hosteller from Pleasant View Mennonite. Uh, I don't know whether you remember him, was one man mm-hmm. who came with his wife. And uh, they served together with us. We preached, planted some churches. Uh, your father, Dennis, and uh, Dennis came with Phil Sussman from Light in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they came with the, the singer, John Schmidt. I'm thinking they came together or either that time or later on. Mm-hmm. But groups like those, can you imagine Dave Miller with the Gospel Express came uh, when he was one year in the faith mm-hmm. after he just given his life to Jesus. They came there, and I told him to preach. It was his first training out there. <laughs> Dave Miller was an evangelist with the Gospel Express today. Mm-hmm. That's where he really got a lot of courage to start preaching the Gospel. It was in, in, in Kenya. So there are groups like that until your father, uh, Dennis Mullet, began to deliberately organize every year to bring a team either to help in the building uh, of our main church or smaller churches in the village, things like those. And they have been growing by, you know, every year. This year, 2019, 2020, sorry, is bringing 45 people in the group. Can you imagine? <laughs> we have a lot of work to do from yes. Holmes County and some of, you know, from other states that are going to come. So we've received a lot of support uh, from the churches in North America, especially the Mennonite Church. Mm-hmm. 
And those what those groups do is it really brings a lot of awareness for when they come back. And it started, I know you said, with just small numbers, but eventually it just grew and grew. And now they try and cut it off right around 40 people per group. I know that. Yeah. But there's always people that are on the waiting list or want to come. And it's hard to say no for someone who wants to come and serve the Lord in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And what these groups do is they go together and there's a work project during the week, during the day. And then in the evenings, they would go back and then they go out to a village or a town and they would set up and have a crusade for all the people in that village. And they do singing, worship, drama for the kids, kids service, and then actually preaching. And they're preaching Jesus to these people. And it's just an incredible experience uh, to be there and to see, to see the Kenyans and to see all the people just thirsting for the Word of God. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about CCI. Eventually, you start planting more and more churches. How many churches specifically did CCI plant in Kenya last year alone? Last year alone, we last year and this year, when when we gave reports in August this year, we had planted eighty-one churches. Eighty-one churches. See, our goal from twenty eighteen for five years is to double that denomination to double 440 churches. And this, this is what, as a presiding bishop, I've given every church a goal that in five years you plant one sister congregation. Every church, and see, there are 440. Mm-hmm. There are 440 just in Kenya alone. In Kenya alone. Before, actually, plus the 81 you planted, so it would be 521. Yes, 521 church churches in Kenya that are a part of CCI. Yes. And before we started this interview, I was just asking about the other churches that have been started in the other countries. And it was just incredible listening to what the Lord is doing in Africa, especially in East Africa. In Uganda, there's 15 churches. Rwanda has eight. Congo has 15. South Sudan, the newest country in the world, has five. It's just incredible hearing just the the incredible growth that God is doing with these people. And I'm sure each one started with just a small handful of people, just a small seed. You said the first church in Thika, you said was around 20 people. Is that right? 10, 15. Even smaller. Yeah, even smaller. And then they start sharing their faith mm-hmm. with others, and they start inviting people. There are Sundays we would tell our members, on Sunday you bring a visitor. Come with a new face on Sunday. And they bring, we, every three months, we have a day we call Visitor Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we go out and invite people who have never been to church, or they usually go to church, and they come. Some will remain, some will go back to their own churches. So I believe that the purpose of the church, as the Bible says in Matthew, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the, of the earth. I believe the church is supposed to share who they are. I believe transformation can only come through the men and women in the church sharing their faith. See, the fivefold ministries, the apostle, the teacher, the prophet, and all that, the evangelist, their work is to prepare the members for ministry. But you see, the people in the church, they think it is the work of the pastor, it is the work of the evangelist, it is the work of the, of the teacher. No, their work is to prepare, that's according to Ephesians, their work is to prepare men and women for ministry. 
So who is supposed to do ministry outside the four walls? The members. The members. After doing one church, we went and did a second church, actually in five years, from 1981 to 1986, we planted 58 churches. 58 churches within a period of five years. And we've never stopped. There are times we are slower. There are times we, we, you know, I see a lot of resources here in North America and I say, my God, how do people have so much? I mean, in terms mm -hmm. of education, look at how many books, materials that you have in North America. Really, how many Bibles are in your church? How many translations? And you go to a church in Africa of 50, 100 people, and only maybe, maybe five people have a Bible. Mm. You know, Look at how many books of Sunday school materials that you have. If I would have that kind of a resource, man, we would, um, I don't know, we would really seriously use it. Yes. Yeah, and we, we developed several things in CCI. Uh, we've developed um, a school called ISOM, International School of Missions for the Youngsters. Those who are coming out of 12th grade or high school, mm -hmm. we put them in a three-month training, of discipleship and mission training. Uh, we have another program we call um, uh, Life Changes. Those who are coming out of university and colleges, we put them out for a year of doing missions and going out and, you know, mentorship program. And many are coming through that program. CCI also has uh, an institute we call LTI, Leadership Training Institute. And you may want to know this one. We were helped by a man called Ken Stosfas, a senior from Kidron. He, he used to attend MCA those days. God uh, connected me with him. I invited him to Kenya. And he started Center for Christian Discipleship. Uh, and he had a program. He would collect books here and Bibles. And he would come to give people. He had a program called Read to Lead read to lead. You're given a book, a very good book to read, and once you finish, you write a report and you can keep the book and go for another one. Mm -hmm. And so many pastors were helped in this program. So we later began LTI, Leadership Training Institute. It's a certificate and a diploma uh, program. We also started up another one called the Christian Bible Institute. This is for pastors uh, you know, training them in theology and hermeneutics, things like those. Um, and it is really expanding. We, we, we are doing so many leaders at the same time uh, that are helping the church. So it's not just preaching. We're also mm -hmm. training. We are discipling. We're doing leadership. Yeah. It seems like so many of the churches in North America there's the leadership of the church, and then there's the members who they just come. They're there on Sunday, and then they go home. But I can just tell from experience, I know from experience, the people who are in the church, the members are involved. And I know so much of your heart is for the children of Kenya and the, the kids who are in school. And I know that CCI is intentional. Each church is intentional with their programs and with their missions 
for the schools. Tell me about what they do on their the Friday programs. I I introduced a program um, in our country and in our church. I realized that every elementary school, it is a requirement to have a lesson on Friday called PPI, Pastoral Program Instructions. 45 minutes every Friday morning, 8 o'clock to 8.45. And many teachers don't use that lesson in the, in the right way. They tell kids to go and play or go and, you know, excuse me, to revise or go or whatever. And I, I really saw a vision here. God gave me this vision that the church can train its people so that the nearest elementary school to the church can receive um, visitors on Friday from the church, the nearest school. And they can go there. They can walk. They don't have to drive. It's nearest. You go there and ask the, the principal to give you permission to be doing pastoral work on Fridays. And so I'm requiring now every CCI church. Which is 564 churches yes. right now. Yes. To, to have one elementary school they are doing pastoral program every Friday. Thousands have come to the faith this last year and this year. Uh, let me just give you figures. I know Paul is going to give you these figures, but in our high school preaching, in our high school ministry, this year, 2019, up to August, we reached 57,000 students in high schools. We led 12,000 students to the faith. They received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's a serious number, 12,000. We are training chaplains to work with those students who are getting saved. Every school has Christian teachers. So we, we, we solicit those teachers. We get them into a program where we can train them to walk alongside those students in discipleship, Bible study, things like those. Mm -hmm. This year alone, we have trained 500 chaplains this year alone. So it's a small ministry, and yet the numbers, I really thank God. I really thank God for those that are getting saved. I see a future for our country. I see a future for our nation. Uh, with these numbers of young people coming to the face. So let's go back to the church. It's not everybody that is doing that. I want you to know that. But we're encouraging. Mm -hmm. We're doing every way possible to encourage the majority of people to be involved in outreach mm -hmm. rather than sitting down. One thing that I've always admired about you, Bishop, is you see so often people who come to America and they're immediately they're shocked by just the amount of affluence and the lifestyle in America. And there's lots and lots of people who come and for the first time experience it. And then they say, you know what? I want to live here. I want to stay here. But one thing about you is you had a calling to go back to Kenya and your calling and your heart is for the people of Kenya. And I've always appreciated that you were intentional with what you want to do and what God want to do with you in Kenya. I one of my final questions here for you is CCI is obviously growing and the Lord is working and moving, but uh, in 10, 20, 30 years, what is your vision 
for what CCI, Christian Church International in Kenya, will be and what it will mean to the people of Kenya? Um, that is, uh, you know, as I look ahead, you know, I'm 71 years of age right now, and my vision is to, you know, get the guys behind me who will run with the baton, because at 71, I'm supposed to have retired, but I feel so energized, and I still have, you know, a lot of energy and vision to continue, but I am handing over as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm training, I'm handing over. Uh, I have nine bishops right now who are in charge of districts or what we call douses. Um, you get 50 churches, there's a bishop in charge. You get 100 churches, there's a bishop in charge. So I'm just the head as a moderator. Mm -hmm. I have the vision, I'm... I'm challenging them to grow up, challenging to, to carry. So if somebody is able to do 100 churches, he can do, you know, 500, right? You know, I see that. And so if you hear Henry is not living, his dream will, will keep growing because I am leaving it with others. And I'm not waiting until I die. They pick up. No, they're doing it when I'm alive. I travel with them. I don't travel alone. Like this trip, I'm traveling with my son. Last year I did. Over the years, I've traveled with others, uh, exposed them, you know, to the world and connected them to, you know, to churches and ministries up here in North America. So I just thank God for that. It It's so easy to be tempted by the Western, you know, influence. And not that I've never been tempted, uh, but it is never stayed, uh, you know, for now struggling, should I stay, should I not? It's been very clear, you know, the Lord's calling in my life. There's good life here. As I preach the gospel, I don't have any health insurance. Yes, I don't have any, any insurance right now except my car. That is all I have. And um, God has been faithful. And it's, you know, someone may think it is carelessness. No. I trust that the Lord will take care of me because I, I never made that money to be able to pay for insurance. No. I live just one at a time. Even though I have a salary now from my church, but a salary is not what you would really call a salary. Seriously. I can't build, I can't, collect enough to buy a vehicle like the one I drive, I had to be given a vehicle by someone. You know, my, one of my spiritual boys just gave me a very, very good car that I drive, you know, for ministry. So things like those. And I know some of you in North America may disagree with me, but you know the Lord has been very faithful as I continue to serve him over the years. Well, thank you very much for just agreeing to sit down with me, Bishop. Uh, this episode is really part of two parts. We're also going to be talking to Bishop's son, uh, Paul, and his daughter-in-law, Irene. And that episode, we will focus hopefully more about ACMI and the programs that ACMI, African Christian Mission International, is doing uh, to serve the Lord there, which is really, like I said, the mission part of CCI Christian Church International. And you can look for that soon. That will be coming out as well. Um, 
one thing that is incredible with how ACMI does it and with how CCI does it is they enable people here to give and to give effectively. So often Westerners want to be assistants and want to help, but they don't know the best way to give, to donate. They don't know, you know exactly where their money is going and what exactly it's doing. One thing that we can do is we can definitely trust if you give to ACMI, they will put it where it is needed most. The Lord will bless it, and they will use it accountably wherever it's going. Um, if you want more information, you can look at the link below this episode. We're going to put the Facebook information, the website information, all down below. There's definitely ways that you can give, you can support, and of course, the most important thing you can do is definitely just pray for the work that God is doing in Kenya and Africa and how the Lord is moving. And if you feel called to even go, I know there's always opportunities and teams, short and long term, uh, for people that can go to Kenya and to be used by God. Um, again, Bishop, thank you very much for sitting down. This has been thank you. one of my favorite episodes yet. Again, this is Deepwater Podcast. I'm Carson Malt. We sat down with Bishop Henry Malundi. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.